So, uh, first of all, yes, my name is David Bruce. It is such an honor to be here. Um, I gotta be honest with you, I'm a little intimidated when, uh, Scott emailed me and saying there were gonna be t-shirts for the retreat. I'm realizing, wow, this is a whole different level of retreat. I've never been to a marriage retreat with t-shirts for it and water bottles. I mean, you guys are amazing. This is just all the love and care and detail to make this event so special for all of us. Uh, I just want to thank your committee and, uh, the, uh, the staff that made this uh, an amazing event for everybody. Okay, so I have an opening joke. Uh, if you like the joke, you're welcome. If you don't like it, uh, my elder Mike Upton shared this with me, okay? So, <laughs> marriage is like a deck of cards. It starts with hearts and diamonds, but by the end, you're looking for clubs and spades. <laughs> Now, that's not true, people. That is not true. That is not true. Okay. Uh, but listen, uh, I am really excited to share some things with you today. Uh, the things that we're going to be talking about are things that Cece and I have applied in our marriage probably for the last at least five or six years, and it has had a profound impact on our lives and in our marriage. And uh, I really believe that marriage is a profound tool that God has given humanity. And so before we get into any kind of practicals, let's talk about why. Let's talk about why. I love this mission statement. Change a marriage, you change a family. Change a family, you change a neighborhood. Change a neighborhood, you change a community. Change a community, you change a city. Change a city, you change a nation. Change a nation, you change the world. So, look to the person by your side, get it? And tell them, honey, we are going to change the world. All right, all right. Don't, don't, don't start your date yet, okay? All right. Now, that can sound very daunting. But you know what? Miracles are daunting. Miracles are daunting. And guess what? We can't do them. But God does miracles. And this is why I think marriage is a miraculous tool that God wants to use to change the world. But if your marriage isn't going great... If you're stuck, confused, and overwhelmed, do you feel like you're going to change the world? You don't. In fact, the only world that matters at that point is your own. And you feel like it's not working out for you. So what I want to give you today is, I think, some really helpful practicals that will help you uh, not be in a place where you ever feel stuck or no options. And also, I want you to understand why marriage is hard sometimes and why we have conflicts. Now, by the way, I don't know about you, but when I was a new married guy, because of my background, I thought if you start having conflicts in your marriage, it means your marriage isn't going well. Does anybody see that, feel that, ever thought that? Yeah, Yeah, okay. And so, unfortunately, my mindset at the very beginning was don't have conflict. If I just don't have conflict, consequently, according to my beautiful logic, our marriage will be fine. And that was a mistake. 
It worked for about three months, I think, or maybe two. Anyway, but the point is, I want all of us to understand that our the purpose of conflict, it's not to avoid conflicts. It's learning how to have conflict well. Because, by the way, if you go to your job or you talk to your family members and you go, hey, by the way, we go to this great church and now we have a marriage that has no conflicts. <laughs> First of all, they're not going to believe you. They're going to think you're lying, which you will be. And, and then secondly, you're not going to be able to relate to them at all. But when you can tell people, I mean, I remember I go to work and I tell people at clinic, yeah, my wife, man, we had this really interesting bump this week. And there's no embarrassment or anything because I, I confidently can describe what I learned and how I worked through that conflict. All right. So now to do that, I think uh, it really helps to understand how the brain works. I love the brain. Anybody here love the brain? Does anybody love your own brain? You should. You really should. Because if you don't love your own brain, you're, you're not going to take care of it and you're not going to get it and it's going to cause you problems, okay? But uh, I love this passage in Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, there's some really important words you need to pay attention to here. First of all, it says, do not conform any longer. Guess what? Too late. Your mind has already been conformed to the world. And does anybody know when that started? I would say close to birth. Right. Our minds have been conforming to the world and to patterns all of our lives. And if we don't recognize that, we can't change that. Okay, and this is what we're going to look at today. How, how has that affected us? But what I love about this is the Bible talks about if you can renew your mind, if you can change the way that you think or change the way that you understand something. Now, remarkable things are possible. It kind of falls in that ballpark of repentance, right? Repentance isn't about changing your behavior. The Greek word is about changing the way that you think. Because when I change the way that I think, I realize, oh, wow, sin didn't work. <laughs> right. And I want to stay away from that because now thinking in a different way takes me in a different direction. OK, so let's get straight into the details. Uh, there's three amazing parts of your brain that I want all of you to be experts in. Uh, first is the uh, beautiful prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead. So everybody point at your forehead and say, God, thank you for my prefrontal cortex. God, thank you especially for my spouse's prefrontal cortex. Because, man, when my prefrontal cortex doesn't work, man, that's when my wife is amazing. Okay? All right. So, the most complex part, the most complex functions of your brain take place in this particular area. Judgment, decision making, impulse control, forethought. By the way, are any of those things good for relationship? You take any of those out, you're going to have a very challenging marriage. Yeah. You know, just add a little, take out a little impulse control and see how the marriage goes. It's, it's not going to go well. OK, so these are very important functions. Uh, and just for parents of adolescents, let me just kind of help you for just a second. 
or explain your madness. Um, the sad thing about the prefrontal cortex is that it's so necessary. However, it's also the very last part of your brain to develop. In fact, now we know it doesn't finish until about the age of 25. So, yeah, now we say adolescence is basically from 12 to 25. <laughs> My God, it was bad enough when I thought it went till 18, but whatever. OK, so the point is, that's the last part of our brain to develop. Uh, how many people here got married before the age of 25? Oh, man, you were suckers. OK, um, anyway, no, it's all good. It's all good. It's going to work out, Sam Newman. I know it is. All right, here we go. So. Prefrontal cortex is great. Now let's go to the other area of the brain that typically causes some problems sometimes. But guess what? God doesn't make problems. God makes miracles. But then how we use that miracle starts creating problems. Does this make sense? Your limbic system is beautiful and amazing and phenomenal. However, if you don't use it correctly, it will become a burden. So, uh, all of your emotions, uh, by the way, this is a human brain. This is not a female brain. This is a human brain. That means all men in the audience, you have this. It's, it's in there, all right? Regardless of all your levels of denial, yes. men feel. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Can I hear an amen from the men? Amen. And amen. sisters, what do you think? Amen. All right, okay. The women are crying right now. This is beautiful. Okay. So all of your emotions, mad, glad, sad, scared, embarrassed, whatever emotion, no matter what or how you feel it in your body, it all originates from neurotransmitters that are released from within the limbic system to create any particular emotion that you feel. Next, we have the reward center, which is sort of the dopamine headquarters of your brain. Uh, Anybody here love dopamine? Oh, yeah, you do. Okay. Uh, Dopamine is great. Dopamine feels amazing. In fact, later tonight, many of you may be feeling a lot of dopamine. and That's great. That's really awesome. However, dopamine is also a problem because it is one of the few neurotransmitters in the brain that you can become addicted to. And we start doing things not to get this much dopamine, but to get this much dopamine. And that starts to create problems. All right, now we have our social brain. Uh, The limbic system maneuvers who you're with, who you're not with, who feels close to you, who's not so close. All that management of your relationships and friendships and coworkers and all that kind of stuff is all managed from within your limbic system. Next, your long-term memory. Now, any possible memory that you have in your head that you have access to is stored in your limbic system. Now, let me give you a little hint. What's interesting is that the long-term memory is stored in the same area of the brain where our emotions are. And that's not a coincidence because the only emotions that you have in your mind are because they were experiences that involved a rather strong emotion. Okay? The only memories that you have are ones that are connected with a strong sense of joy or a strong sense of fear. In other words, any experience that you have that has a high emotion, most likely that will be a memory that sticks and will be stored in your limbic system. Uh, Next, your senses, your sense of touch, all that good stuff is wonderful. And then the final part of the limbic system that we're going to be talking about a lot today is the sense of safety. Okay, and that I'll get into that a little bit later.
Okay, now a very interesting thing to understand about the brain is that the brain only has so much energy. Okay? So what that means is that when you have a lot of activity going on in one area of the brain, simultaneously it's robbing energy from the other parts of the brain. And so right here we have a very alarming situation. Uh, we have this person's limbic system seems to be very, very active. And it could be active for a multiple set of reasons. It could be this person is really angry. Or this person maybe just you know took a drag on some pot, you know, smoked some weed or whatever. In other words, they've done something to activate that limbic system. Right? Whether it's a strong emotion or got some uh, your reward center activated. But then simultaneously, what happens to that person's judgment? Impulse control? Decision making? All that stuff is faded. When the limbic system's hot, the prefrontal cortex is cool. All right, now, which part of the brain do we need for marriage? Thank you. That was a trick question. You guys are good. All right. So we need both. And this is interesting. God talks a lot in the Bible about balance. Ecclesiastes says, you know, a man, a wise man avoids all extremes. I think that's great advice neurologically. You can't be all limbic system and you also can't be all prefrontal cortex. All right. God wants us to value and utilize both, but especially in our marriage. All right. So. We had this balancing game, and then uh, we talked about safety a second ago. At the very base of your limbic system, there's this very small almond-shaped structure called the amygdala. Let's all say that. Amygdala. All right. By the way, you got to say all these things when you go to work on Monday so you can impress all your friends. Go, man, I, I learned all these things about my brain, how it works, and it was all at church. And they're going to go, what the? They're not going to understand it. But anyway, so the amygdala is at the base of the limbic system. And it has one job and one job only in your in your noggin, which is basically this. Am I safe? That's it. It's the only it's the essential function of the amygdala. All right. And uh, we've all heard about fight or flight. The fight or flight response, basically that's the amygdala. The amygdala is the origin of that whole fight or flight response. And I want to look into that a little bit more detail. So the amygdala, when it answers that question negatively, that I'm not safe, it turns out that humans share amygdalas with animals. Animals have amygdalas. God put, put the amygdala in them too. And this is how they survive is because of that amygdala. But unfortunately, because uh, we also have an amygdala, it turns out we react in many of the same ways that animals do. Now, I'm not trying to compare your husband to a dog or anything like that. That's what I'm doing. But I just want us to understand, when your brain registers, I'm not safe. And by the way, we need to think about that. What's safety? Well, there are dozens of forms of safety. There's physical safety. Am I going to be physically threatened? There's um, emotional safety. Is this person going to come in and, 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 and be angry at me or attack me? Uh, so relational safety. There can be spiritual safety. There can be financial safety. All right? All, any form of safety. The amygdala doesn't care. The amygdala is just going to kick into one of these modes 
if it thinks that the situation or my marriage relationship right now is not safe. So the five most common options are we fight, we flight. Those are pretty self-explanatory. Freezing. It's basically when you just kind of feel stuck and you don't know what to do. This is typically when your spouse's mouth is moving and you don't register anything that they're saying. You're just kind of frozen, like literally a deer in the headlight. Anybody been there? You guys just don't want to be honest. I get it. All right. And then the next one is, uh, and now this says submit. Now be careful. I'm not talking about the submission that Bible clearly teaches. I mean, Paul, right before laying out the instructions for husband and wife, talks about we need to submit to one another, right? Out of reverence for Christ. This is not that kind of submit. This is unhealthy submit. This is basically when you sort of, you just concede. You, just kind of, you go along because I don't want to have an issue, I don't want to have an argument, and so you just kind of, you just kind of submit, you go along, but in reality you don't have peace and you don't have real connection with your partner. Okay? And then next we hide. This can look very bad in marriage. Hiding is usually you're not talking. Hiding is, you know what, I think I'm going to spend a little more energy at work. Because at work, I, I kind of know the rules. I know what to do. I get paid for doing it. I mean, all that is very predictable. And then at home, I don't think it's very predictable and I don't feel safe. And so you're going to start hiding. You're going to start avoiding. All right. So that's the bad news. Can I talk about the good news now? Whew, that was heavy, man. I hope that was the worst slide of the whole day. Okay, here we go. Now, the amygdala is asking that question, but when it asks, answers the question positively, like, oh, man, I feel safe here. I feel safe relationally, or I feel safe financially. I'm getting a better financial plan or whatever. When our amygdala starts registering safety, we start feeling these good things. We start being more playful. We're more nurturing. Not only are we more nurturing of others, but we actually nurture self better when your amygdala is safe. We're more creative. We think outside the box. We're more solution-oriented. And by the way, some of the top, most successful companies in the world today are successful because they finally decided to take the brain seriously. And they create work environments that make the amygdala safe. I have a friend of mine that got hired at Google about four, five years ago, and he let me come over for lunch one time. And, I mean, just walking in that atmosphere, it's crazy. You just feel good. It's amazing. And they use a little food in there, too, because they got these food stations everywhere. Like, if you're hungry, just go to the food station. You're going to get taken care of. And then chances are you're going to meet with another coworker, And you're going to you're going to bond having this safe moment eating cupcakes or whatever your snacks were that you gave away today. Right. Companies are figuring this out. And to be honest with you. This is what we, I think, have to figure out as a church. I mean, church should be the safest zone of the planet. And you know why? Because God wants it to be safe here because we need to be the ambassadors of safety out there. And by the way, people want safety. 
If you can think about your evangelism that way, that, you know what, maybe it's not about just, you know, am I going to give them an invitation card? Am I going to invite? No, but just think about it. Does that person need safety? Would, would their lives be better with safety? Well, then I should bring them to my community where we're nurturing and building and trying to sustain safety. It's beautiful. This also applies to our marriage, right? All right, now the fourth one, since I'm at the right retreat. Okay, we mate. We have sex when our amygdala is safe. Men, pay attention. If your wife's amygdala is not safe, it's going to be a long night. Go back to ESPN, man. Whatever you got. I don't know what you do, but whatever. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's not going to help you either. That's just getting your dopamine another way, but whatever. So then work is the final. We are more engaged and we are more productive when our amygdala is safe. So if your marriage can become a haven of safety, and I'm not talking about fake safety. I'm talking about genuine safety where you can actually have conflicts and remain safe at the same time. And when you get on the other side of that conflict, guess what? You've grown. You grow by going through conflicts. You don't grow by avoiding them or going around them. And that was my strategy for many years because I witnessed conflicts growing up in my parents' marriage that were out of the, out of control and overwhelming. And I hated I hated being around it. I hated hearing it. And I felt so helpless and overwhelmed. My amygdala was not safe just witnessing my parents' conflict. Because no one taught them how to have conflict well. We can learn this stuff. All right? Okay, we're going to talk. Uh, I'm going to have Cece come up, and we're going to share real quickly. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to answer some questions during the break, because uh, this is not a retreat, it's a workshop, right? So we have to work uh, throughout the entire thing here. So, um, number one, my most common unsafe amygdala mode, I would say, is probably, I don't typically fight or react or get mad. Uh, I typically, uh, it's somewhere between submit and hide. In other words, I get very, very quiet and I, I start avoiding issues and I don't address things that are going on. So that's kind of my primary amygdala unsafe mode. Is this one on? Oh, there we go. Um, I think for me, uh, the way that if I don't feel safe, then I'm going to become very disrespectful. Uh, and I see it so. That's more of an attack plan. It's the, the fight instinct. Uh, I think it, it depends on what it is that I don't feel safe about. But when I lose my peace, then I become that nagging wife. I become that uh, questioning. I become um, attacking of motives of like, why, why would you say this or why? Um, I become defensive. Um, so even though I know the Bible says to respect your husband, I lose all that when I don't feel safe. 
And I forget and I blow it. And by the way, that's a great point. You can believe all you want what the Bible says. You can put your hand on it and go, yes, I agree. But if your amygdala is not safe, the amygdala doesn't care what you believe about God. The amygdala doesn't care what you think the scriptures say. Okay, so this is why safety is such an important thing. All right, next one. Uh, what is something you do that makes your partner feel unsafe? Uh, the biggest thing uh, with Cece is when um, when we are when she is trying to communicate, and I am uh, thinking that I can multitask while listening to my wife at the same time. <laughs> and uh, so far, I I thought I was good at it, but no, I'm not good at it. So whenever Cece is talking, and I'm like, you know, I'm at my laptop or. Literally last night we were talking in the room and the TV was on behind her and I'm just sitting there going, okay, I'm exercising every ounce of self-control not to look right over your shoulder because that is a very interesting TV show. No, but whatever. So I, I realized I have to make very intentional efforts to help me not be distracted by things because that makes her feel unsafe. Um. I think um, for me, again, going back to um, to respect and um, I learned early on in marriage that, of course, I want a husband that is awesome. But me nagging about it is not going to get me that <laughs> husband. Yeah. Uh, me being a dripping roof is not going to be helpful. And... Um, because when David feels like I am not by his side, if he doesn't feel like I am with him, if he feels like I'm against him or I remind him of his mother in any way, it's not. <laughs> They're it, laughing now, but when, wait yeah. till later. It's, <laughs> it's going to get worse. It's not going to go well. So I'm, um, I'm a chemical engineer. I'm, it, the way that I think is... I, before getting married and before being a Christian, I thought that whoever is right should be in charge. That was logic to me. And I hate that. And since I know that I am right, then clearly, what's your issue? And um, so learning... <laughs> Learning that there are multiple ways to see things, learning what is it that is the biggest need of my husband, how does, what does his safety barometer look like, that is my goal. Because if we can get there, then we can actually grow and flourish and become something else. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That was right. Okay. <laughs> Three. Uh, describe something your partner does that makes you feel safe. Uh, now, this may fall into that category of love languages. You guys, maybe you've heard of some of those things, but, um, you know, acts of service, quality time, uh, words of affirmation, that kind of stuff. So it may be one of those things. I would say with Cece, I think something she does that makes me feel safe. Um, yeah, I would say definitely when she's like really... Um, 
listening and and hearing me out on something where I can kind of go unfiltered or unedited. Like, okay, this is just everything I'm thinking. Uh, I definitely feel safe and it helps me figure new things out. Going back to the creative thing. I think I get more creative by being able to just talk with you out loud and you you get it. So non judgmental. Yeah. Non judgmental. Um I think that um I think something that David does definitely the paying attention uh helps me to feel safe. Um if I'm asking for I, I need you to hear me out or I need for you to help me to figure out what it is that I am really thinking and feeling about something. Uh, because um, it's easy for me to be cerebral, but not always, I'm not always in touch with how I'm feeling or I don't know mm. where it's coming from. So uh, uh, when David is patient with me to draw me out and to be um, uh, slow to just fixing it, mm. uh, that makes me, um, that makes me feel more safe that I, that he's genuinely interested in what is beneath this. Yeah. So that's it. Okay. So uh, we're going to take about five minutes. Please turn to the person by your side and discuss these three <laughs> questions.